Well, good evening, and welcome to the evening service at Trinity here. Um, I, uh, I'm excited about some things that I've been studying um, since about November of last year, kind of preparing myself through a little series I did in truth and kind of how society looks at truth and then kind of spilled over into the idea of how this looks in the church and, and what our what our tendencies are, what our tendencies can be, what happened in the early church, and, and some of the warnings that we have uh, in Scripture about that. And so I'm going to do a three-part series. Tonight is going to be in Second Peter chapter 2. You can turn there if you'd like. And then I'm going to look at Second John, and then Jude. All talking about apostasy, false teaching, or false prophets within the church, and how they got there, what are they doing there, why were people listening, what happened? And then to look at our own church and say, is this taking place? And to not to cast judgment on you as the fellowship, as believers and, and uh, members of our church to point at you and say, yeah, I think you're an apostate, you need to leave. Uh, that is not my goal tonight. Uh, but my goal is to remind us that false teaching can creep in very easily. Uh, there can be non-truth given. It's, it's important that we keep our guard up in these things so as to not just go with the flow of so-called Christianity and biblical thinking in these, these maybe bigger arenas and walk into some traps where we ought not be, biblically, truth-wise. And I'm convinced and convicted that we need to be about God's Word. It's got to be about God's Word constantly. And how do we let apostasy come into our own hearts? It's when we remove ourselves from that very thing. When we remove ourselves from fellowship with believers or this place, not saying that this building has anything, but I'm talking about the fellowship of believers, the feeding uh, that we get in Sunday mornings, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, through our prayer ministries, through serving our local church with our local uh, or with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and sometimes we just kind of, you know, we we just don't pay attention. We're okay with the programs and other things that the church has to offer, and all these other maybe bigger entities have to offer us, and we just rely on that, thinking, well, that must be okay because it came from a biblical source or maybe a, a well-renowned publisher. That's not exactly what we're looking at. And so I'm going to look at false teaching and ministry today, specifically in 2 Peter chapter 2. So if you turn there, I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 2, and then I've got tonight eight marks of what a false teacher looks like. And what I want to do is I want to identify what a false teacher is. Not, again, to um, say that I think they're prevalent in our church but I think they can creep in, and I think we have to keep our antennas up for this. So if you go with me to Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way through the entire passage, and then I'm going to make some comments, eight comments, based on false teaching, and then uh, give some application to that. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. 
Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to execution, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescues, rescued Lot, righteous Lot, greatly distressed by sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reviling in their de- reveling in their deceptions a while, uh, while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who lived in gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are the waterless springs and mists driven by storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world... Through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of the righteous than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. The sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. We're going to look at eight marks of false teachers. And the first mark that I want to point out is this. False teachers secretly introduce destructive heresies as truth in the name of the Lord. This comes from verse 1 where it says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. That was a reference to both Old Testament and New Testament, like past and now. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. I'm going to go to an Old Testament reference. If you would turn with me to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 13. The first five verses 
in this particular passage are in very, very instructive as to how Moses dealt with this particular situation, this problem. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, it says this, and Lord, that's not it. I'm in numbers. Let me go to Deuteronomy. That would have been way off. Deuteronomy 13, okay. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for... The Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Now, we've heard those same words earlier in Deuteronomy from Moses, but they're repeated again here. Specifically designed against people who would speak falsities. That would, that would dream something or say something, it would come to pass. And what more convincing than to have somebody do that and to go, wow, I, that, that, looks, that looks right. That looks actually legitimate. I should probably pursue that. But I think the Holy Spirit, and, through Moses, said something that is extremely important. And, you know, if you don't get anything else tonight, maybe grab onto this one truth, okay, right away. Go back to, in, in chapter 13... Um, and I'm going to go to middle verse 3 where he says, the, uh, the, For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And then he says in verse 4, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. If you just did that as a believer, it's not that you would be a perfect Christian all the time, but, but that would go a long way for you. You would do well to do that if you were a believer. And I find in my life, it's kind of hard to do that, right? Because if you look at today's society, especially youth are bombarded with these things. But, you know, we we sometimes classify youth as, you know, trying to show why maybe they're walking away from the Lord and why they're, you know, just a suppressed, you know, generation or whatever. But truthfully, adults are just as barraged, if not more so. We're just as barraged. And sometimes we have the maturity to hold our hand out against that and say, no, we're not, we're going to reject those false things, those other gods and those, you know, idolatrous things. And Moses is specifically talking about those idols. But he, he, he says, I want to know if you love God. I want to test you. God is testing you. There's going to be things that people do that look impressive. There are churches that look incredible and impressive, and it looks like they're doing everything right, but they're totally unbiblical because they do not speak truth. Now, classic case is uh, I, I don't have cable, but I installed an antenna on my roof. And I can get this channel, and my, my antenna is pointed kind of the Green Bay-ish area, and I get these channels every once in a while when it's really still, I mean, there's no, like, wind or, you know, there's nothing, there's no front coming in or whatever, and I don't know where it points to, Michigan somewhere, I don't know if it's upper Wisconsin, but it's in, like, the 52-1234, and it's all these religious channels. And you can watch you know, different preachers go on. So, of course, Joel Osteen's on there, a few others that I don't really recognize their names, but every once in a while I get, I get, get interested and I, I start listening to them. It's amazing because they have all these cameras that are panoramic all their, their congregation, live streaming everything, and it's like, 
you know, they bought a stadium because they can't put everybody in there. And then you hear the message and it's kind of like, so just love God because he loves you. And then you hear everybody, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Maybe a good statement. But what are they all about? The facility, the facade, the, the interest of being part of something big that, because if everybody's part of that, that must equal truth and right. Just because you're part of a small work, that must mean it's not going too well and, and wrong. I don't think so. I don't think this is what we're talking about. But a mark of a false teacher, one of the first ones that we see here in verse number one, is that they introduce destructive heresies as truth in the name of the Lord. They try to weave in what they think and maybe as a man-centered gospel into truth. And by and large, this is what it looks like. It looks like a pastor who is really a salesman trying to sell his own words and not God's. Now, I'm thankful, hopefully you are too, that Pastor Leeds, Pastor Rory, I try to give nothing but the God's word, truth, explained as it is as clearly as possible here without error. Because if I stood up here and just kind of gave my own thoughts about things and just kind of made everybody feel good and, and walk away, I'm sure that by the end of maybe two weeks, Van, I think I could probably get that chair fund, Randy. I think with the salesman approach and getting everybody pumped up and jacked up about the fact that we're going to have new chairs down there, we can bring people to the Lord, and we can, you can, we can use those chairs. We can make this facility look unbelievable by some really neat sales pitching up here in the name of the gospel. That's not what it's about. Give to the chair fund, yeah, that's fine. But our facility doesn't equal godliness. Introducing non-truth, as I would say it, doesn't equal godliness. And so if I introduce something that is half-truth or just starting to weave in some derision or division into the gospel picture, then I am a false teacher. I'm glad we don't have those types of things around here, but we have to be watching for that. It is okay for you to question and to, to redo, rethink, re-listen to online sermons and seek them out for yourself. And, and you should. You should go through and, and is this biblical? Is this true? Is this right? Instead of having, uh, just accepting it as a, as a oh yeah, just because Pastor Lee said it or Pastor Ray said it, it must be true. I think uh, Pastor Ray had an interesting clip. I was trying to find something as nice as he did, but I couldn't find anything that, that was applicable. But he started off with that guy that, that gave that uh, defense of the gospel. Remember that last Sunday night? And it was just, I mean, some of the things he was saying was just ridiculous. You know, people do that all over the, all over the world. And people buy it as truth. We have to be careful of that. Nothing, John MacArthur says this, nothing is more wicked than for someone to claim to speak for God to the salvation of souls, when in reality he speaks for Satan to the damnation of souls. If I am trying to, of my own power, without God's, God's help and God's spirit in me, try to save and try to speak truth, it's worthless. It's worthless. I need to have Christ in me and the Holy Spirit working so that it is true. A second mark of a false teacher is this. False teachers are smooth with their words and actions as to attract many. And not always people, you know, trying to attract a big crowd and trying to attract this huge thing. But notice this. Verse 2, and many will follow. Many will follow their sensuality. 
And sensuality doesn't mean like maybe their seductiveness in that, in that kind of a sexual context, but, but kind of their personality, more what they, their charisma, their, their kind of, you know, who they are. If they have a big name, oh, we must, we must follow them because they've got, they've got the name. No, not necessarily. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. It's not always because of your last name that you are going to speak truth. It's not always because you're born into a wonderful family that that's who you're going to be. You have to think about who this is. i got another quote from MacArthur, and I quote from somebody else in just a minute here about this. He says, many people will profess to be Christians but deny Christ's lordship over their lives, refusing to live as obedient servants to Christ and his word, following instead the lust of the flesh, the world, and the devil. Such nominal Christians will be included in the Lord's condemnation of hypocrites at the judgment, denying the lordship of Christ while claiming to be a believer destructively infects other people and discredits the gospel. One of the worst things that we can do as believers, as a church, is to believe a half-hearted gospel or half-truth about a gospel, and then spread that. It's infectious. Let me give you an example of how this worked when I was a kid. Maybe I've said this before, but I know I've used this example um, in my high school and junior high classes, talking about infections. I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember back in the day when chicken, before the chickenpox vaccination was available? And my mom took our family over to a friend's house that had chickenpox because she wanted all three of us to get the infection at the same time one week and get it done and over with. We did that. You might think, my mom's nuts. I, I probably said that to her. Like, I don't want those spots all over me. Why are we going over? And she's like, we're going to play. Like, right. Why, why am I rubbing her arm? <laughs> what is going on here? Okay. It was infectious, and I mean, it wasn't within one day. All three, well, it was three of us at that point. All three of us kids had chicken pox, full-fledged. What if one person in this group, body of believers, had an invalid truth and started spreading that, and it was popular, and everybody started thinking, yeah, hey, that's good. That's real good. It's infectious. And non-truth can be like that. And false teachers thrive on that kind of thing because that's what makes them, you know, uh, legitimate. If they have something to give and somebody buys into it, all of a sudden that becomes truth. And then they get a book contract and write about it so that the entire nation and world can have it on their Kindles and iPads. And it's great. And everybody should buy the book and read it. How about truth? How about loving God's word and knowing that? And not letting that kind of thing into our into our body, the body of Christ. And many will follow their sensuality because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And the, and the sad thing is, God's name and his truth gets drugged through the mud. That's what tech takes place. We might get out of it. We might be able to apologize and say that was non-truth. But we cannot undo the fact that we just took God's truth through a literal mud pit and stamped on it just because we thought it was a beautiful idea and a, a, nice, a nice saying. And we can write a couple chapters in a book about it. That we can't undo. And that is very difficult. Another mark of a false teacher is this. False teachers are known for their greedy inhibitions. And by greedy inhibitions, there's, there's several things you could talk about here. Uh, whether it's ministry-wide or their own personal gain, 
Um, I, think, I think both. When I was in high school, uh, the big name that was out there that was, you know, kind of, kind of a controversial name was Benny Hinn. Anybody know the name Benny Hinn? What was Benny Hinn? Uh, everybody does, okay. What was he known for? You come up on stage, and he's got his healing power, and he's got two big, you know, guys behind this woman that's got a, you know, can't walk or barely walk, and he comes over and touches and says something, and she falls over and then walks off the stage, and then they're parading the fact that he has healed a bunch of people, and they're healed for life. How many of you think Benny Hinn was really legitimate? I didn't. And then there's scandals that come out for the guy. Wouldn't pay his taxes, and there's all kinds of things that he wouldn't do. And then when people would give honest testimony about what took place there, people with cancer who said they were healed six months later die of cancer. Why? Maybe it was the greed of Benny Hinn. Maybe it was the fact that he was living in an $11 million house because of the giving that was coming in, and he needed money for ministry. Really? Or money for his Mercedes-Benz or second one or third one that he had parked in his house in Aruba somewhere. What, what was that? I'm not saying it's, it's bad to be rich. I'm not, I'm not stamping that out. But God gives you resources for the furtherance of his truth and the gospel of Christ. Paul used all his resources for that. And everything he got was put into that. And even the offerings that he received, he put right back into the church to further the gospel because he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So what do we do? Well, a false teacher maybe is greedy and maybe has greedy inhibitions. Maybe, maybe it's something where, you know, hey, you take an offering and I get another one and I need another one and I need another one. And, and there's just kind of this greed aspect. And maybe it's just you know, mentally, maybe it's inside of them, but there's definitely something part of that because in verse 3 it says, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. It's whatever sounds good, whatever's the nicest saying for the day, and you buy it. Oh yeah, we're going to give to that because after all, it must be what's right. All the while leading us into little idolatry and into false truths and eventually apostasy. I'm thankful that it doesn't happen here. Oh, I forgot one thing. Uh, this is to say that false teachers will deliberately take advantage of a person or a situation. If you want to know somebody who is in it for themselves, watch a pastor or a mentor or somebody else counsel for their own credit. I mean, Karen Pickering went through all the counseling, schooling, and I mean, hours and hours of that. And if, if I came and I said, Karen, I would like to learn how to counsel, but... What I would like to do it for is financial gain. So bring a lot of people and refer them to me. I'll spend an hour with them with a notebook and sit in a nice leather chair in an office that's air conditioning. I'll let them spill their guts and I'll tell them, I'm sorry, I can't help you. That'll be $150. Thank you. Just take advantage of the situation. No real truth is dealt with. Nothing in their lives is dealt with. And people do that, folks, all the time. They do that all the time. False teaching in the church. Another mark of a false teacher is this. They despise authority. They are the authority, if you notice this. They are their own authority. They answer to nobody. They don't want, to, they don't want anybody in their ministry that won't say yes to them. They, won't in, they will not accept outside rebuke. They, they do not care about that because, after all, that means if they're wrong, what else is suspect? Their whole foundation of ministry. It says in verse 10, and especially those who indulge 
in, that should be, sorry, messed up the T and the in there, in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. They hate authority. And maybe not hate it as in they have somebody that's maybe a superior to them and just outright say, I just hate you. But they cannot handle a rebuke. They cannot handle being corrected. They will not listen to wisdom outside of their own thinking. F.F. Bruce says this, the two characteristics in particular linked up with the Old Testament examples, he has just recalled they are lustful and presumptuous. These people are characterized by their lusts of anything, lusts of, of the world, lusts of the flesh, eyes, and they're presumptuous. They're very prideful. They despise authority in general. And here's the kicker. In particular, in, uh, in Christ in particular, they cannot stand really with Christ because if they, if they stand with Christ, they may have to change their message. If they change their message, that means they're not the ones in benefit. Look at the next one. False teachers, they're bold, they're willful, and they force their agenda. <laughs> there are few situations that come to mind, but I'll give you one an ex- example from this summer. Amber and I started the store up in Door County. And it's interesting, as we've started the store, everybody has their idea of how to run the store. And that's fine. I have, I have an idea of how Tony should run, uh, you know, Taco Bell, and how Randy should sell houses, and how Van should, you know, uh, run JFA Hearn. And, you know, I, 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 have, I have ideas on how this all should work. And, and of course, I'm right. So people, complete strangers, will come into the store. And they'll say, you know, like, well, um, this is all you have, huh? Oh, may I? They, they say it nice. May I make a suggestion? Um, buy my stuff to put in your store is, is basically what they say really nicely. And it's okay. But we had, I had one particular lady come in and... She used to manage the, the place that we were in. And she came in and met Amber one time, and then I was in there. And before I knew it, I was in a conversation that I did not want to have with this person, talking like she was asking financial questions and all these kinds of things. And I'm just like, whoa, what? You know, what? there's a line of personal space, and she's like, you know, those kind of people that are just, you know, like, whoa. Okay. Willful enforcing the, the, the issue. And I didn't even know what the issue was. She was just there. And, and eventually I'm just like, okay, I need to end this conversation somehow. And so I was like, oh, that's my mom calling. I need to go to dinner. Not, not really. I didn't use that excuse, but I kind of wanted to. Um, but there are people who will force something and force an issue boldly, willfully, and they will force their own agenda. And it feels like, whoa, something's wrong. What's going on here? Well, may I suggest, if somebody is doing that in our ministry, where it's all about them and what they're going to benefit from telling you to do something, you might be suspect. You might ask a question. Verse 11 says, Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Think about that. They will speak falsities they don't even know. They don't even know to be scared. That they are trampling on God's truth. They don't even know to tremble. Think about that. How ignorant is that? But yet, people in churches just like ours buy that kind of nonsense constantly. They buy it up. It's worth millions in the Amazon marketplace. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, he's saying, 
Angels do not even pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Angels know to keep their mouths shut because they will not say a thing because they know that the, the power of the Almighty God can in an instant take them out. But these false teachers, they don't even see that as a reality. They don't even see that as, a, as a, something to be scared of. Another mark of a false teacher is this. They speak about matters they are totally ignorant about as if it were truth. A false teacher can spin anything to make it sound very good and very truthful. Tim said, I think, this morning that he had Jehovah's Witness, or was that Rory? Somebody, somebody was talking about Jehovah's Witness coming to the door and talking to, uh, talking to them. It was Tim this morning, and about the fact that there's no he- heaven or hell. And it's interesting, you know, the script that they must get to, to say these things and to, to speak of these things. Here's what verse 12 says. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instincts, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant. They have no training. They have no idea what's going on with this. But will also be destroyed in their destruction. They talk about things as if they know what they're talking about, but really they have no idea. False teachers revel in the daytime. I thought this was a very, very... uh, eye-opening part of this. They don't hide. It's not like a false teacher is trying to hide under the mask of darkness to propagate false uh, falsities. Uh, Look at what verse 13 says. They count it pleasure. They count it pleasure. They get a, a some type of high out of reveling in the daytime. The idea of reveling here is uh, creating some type of stir that gets people to point to their direction so that they can get their message out, which is somewhat false. It's mixed with some truth, but mostly false. They, they enjoy the reveling. They enjoy turning the tide and saying, oh, watch this. Watch what this statement will do. And it turns around and they get this. Look at what Romans 13 thir- uh, through 14 says. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, and not in sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but on, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul's very clear. You can't give in to these types of, these types of uh, inhibitions. You can't let this take over your life. And not specifically in sexual sin, although that's very applicable, in anything to gratify the desire of the flesh. False teachers revel in the daytime. They don't try to hide it. They're on daytime talk radios. They're on writing books. They're out publishing and pr- promoting their, their stuff. And uh, we're reading it and buying it up as if, well, that uh, came from a credible source. It must have because it's on, you know, it's on Christian radio. And finally, the eighth mark of a false teacher is this. False teachers have an adulterous heart and an appetite for sinful things. Now, that seems like slanderous about a false teacher, but you say, well, give them a little bit of credit because they're giving some truth. Well, think about this. Anybody who takes God's word and, and, and shades it and doesn't say exactly what it says and, and makes it and molds it into what they want it to be, they're an idolater, straight up. They're just an idolater. They're a sinner and an idolater. There is no way around it. All the way from the Old Testament, you look at Eve and the an example of the Garden of Eden. Uh, the chief of the deceit uh, was Satan himself in the Garden of Eden, trying to get Eve to buy something and eat something that was not to be touched. Well, a false teacher in his heart 
is adulterous in the fact that what, what is not for him, he wants to taste. And he wants to be part of that in his heart. The adulterous heart and an appetite for sinful things. It's okay in moderation. It's okay in small areas of life. Verse 14 says they have eyes full of adultery. Insustainable for, or insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. I mentioned Romans 13, 13 through 14 gives us this. Before I give some um, practical things, I'd like you to turn back to uh, Corinthians. I was listening to Corinthians over the last couple of weeks, uh, just the whole book at a time. I clip in my, I, uh, my little iPhone, and I just have this little app that I can play, and I play scripture. And uh, I, was, I was listening to, while I was doing some um, mowing, mowing some lawns, I was listening all the way through First and Second Corinthians. I, I've listened to them about three times over um, it, at one shot. Look at verse or chapter three, and and Paul here is talking about the fact that they've got some they got some issues in the church. They're dealing with some things where there's unity or just spiritual immaturity. They had some people coming in sexual immorality, some things that were taking place there. But he comes in and he's he in the first three chapters he says you know basically I think it's in chapter one. Um, after he gives his introduction, he talks about some of you believe in Paul, Paulus, Cephas, some in Christ. You know, were you baptized in Paul? You know, were you, were you in, are you in Christ? Who are you? What are you as a church? What are you believing? But then he comes up and he, he addresses some of those issues. And in verse 3, he talks about divisions in the church because of some of these false beliefs and false teachings that were taking place. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. For even for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? He goes on and addresses some of those things. My, my idea here was the fact that we're, we're immature sometimes enough to, to not even recognize that we're being fed a line. We're being fed non-truth. And I don't know how many have been trapped in that. Hopefully not many of you have been trapped in something like that where you get led down a, a path and all of a sudden you realize, whoa, I am way off course because you're listening to man, not God. Well, as I was going through this, I thought, well, okay, we, we've identified false teachers, but you say, well, you know, there's really not too many false teachers in our church. I mean, that's a good thing, right? I mean, that's a, that's a helpful, healthy thing for our church not to be filled with false teachers and giving some crazy lines of doctrine that we're following. Well, maybe not false teachers, but maybe, and I think, really, we have tendencies in our own heart that mimic some of these attitudes and actions of false teachers. By this, here's what I mean. Practically speaking, but we don't have false teaching in our church. Well, that's great. So how do I contribute to this problem? Or do I contribute to this problem? And I think believers do contribute to the problem from time to time. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have written, or excuse me, Peter in this case wouldn't have written the letter. John wouldn't have written the letter. Jude wouldn't have written the letter. So how does this take place? Well, I think several things here that I I came up with, okay? And as, as I went through 
this chapter, these eight things came up. Number one, if you want to contribute to a growing false line of doctrine and theology and teaching in a church, in a believer, in a body of believers, do these things, okay? Or if you don't want to, don't do them. But here's the number one way you can really encourage false teaching. Have a deceitful heart and accept partial truth is okay. Just, just be okay and content with Sunday morning food. That's all we need. Sounded good, pastor. That's great. How many know people that are like that legitimately? There are people all over Fond du Lac that are like that. People in our families, relatives, they are good enough to hear something okay, not to step on my toes, okay, and that's all the further they go. That hurts the cause of Christ. It hurts the cause of Christ. Because that person will probably more than likely say, well, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. And they hear some things, and that's good enough for them, but that's it. No more. And then that spins off into maybe deceitful heart. Well, you know, anybody who says that, you know, he's a Christian and does not love God, he's a liar, obviously. I mean, there's some obvious things here. So you accept partial truth. You have deceit in your heart. Second one, uh, and maybe maybe more physically, uh, follow the next big thing. Go to the next big crowd thing. I remember when um, uh, Promise Keepers first came out. And I don't know a whole lot about Promise Keepers. I remember my dad uh, was invited to go to Promise Keepers, and it was one of the first ones that, that happened in uh, Colorado, I think it was. Was it in Colorado? I don't remember. Anyway, it was when I was in high school. And he, he was given a ticket and given transportation there, and so I, he went. And uh, yeah, it, was, it was good and encouraging. And then the next year, he, he just decided he, did, he, he wasn't going to go. And um, the group of guys that he went with basically said, well, you're just not a spiritual man. You're just not spiritual. Okay, I'm not following a crowd. That's not my church. It wasn't my fellowship of body of believers that I went with. Uh, it was somebody else. And so, you know, he said, I, I almost feel kind of bad. But he, and then my mom said, well, why? Why, why feel bad? It's not like you're following the crowd and you don't have to follow and go to a promise keepers type event to grow spiritually. Because if that's what we had to do, we're an ultimate failure here in Fond du Lac. I mean, what do we gather here? 200 on a good Sunday? You know, maybe at a funeral that's huge, 250, 300, and that's a funeral. I mean, we're not gathering big masses here. No, but we are teaching truth. Are you going to follow the big crowd? Okay, That's, that, that might aid to false teaching creeping in. Having a selfish mindset. Anything selfish is going to lead you astray. Anything selfish is going to lead you astray. And if you have a selfish mindset that I don't want to hear truth and have to change my life, well, that's, that might aid to less harsh preaching, less harsh, this is what you need to do because this is what God's word says. This is what his truth says. Question and despise authority. Pastor said something in Sunday, and yeah, I really just don't believe that. I don't think that's right. And you don't even have to say it to him. All you have to do is say it to your neighbor. Get on the phone and call your girlfriend and say, hey, did you hear what Pastor said? <laughs> that was bogus. Let's Facebook about it. Uh, let's start some of that. And you know what? We can encourage some real nasties in our church, and we can creep that stuff right in. Question and despise authorities in your own heart. 
Champion a cause other than Christ for your life goal. Make something other than church way bigger than your, your desire in, in, uh, in life. I mean, we've got, some, we've got some neat things going on. I mean, I, I pick on Laura Dank a lot, but Laura does the Crisis Pregnancy Center. If, if Laura made the Crisis Pregnancy Center bigger in her life than Christ, you know what? It's wrong. And it's sin. Even though she's helping a lot of young people and a lot of people, it's wrong. Because Christ is chief. He is number one. Champion a cause other than Christ for your life goal. Make, make that bigger and better in your life. You'll help contribute to the problem. Listen to ignorance and accept it as truth. Whatever comes over the airwaves or the media or your iPod or your podcast, listen to whatever and just accept it as truth. That that will help that cause. That will contribute to the problem. How about this? Stir up strife with others, even when it's not even your own business. Somebody's having a problem with marriage. Somebody's having a problem with families or kids or, you know, whatever the situation is, health-wise, whatever. Ah, just, Just start to stir up some things. Make, make it your goal to, you know, start division. That'll help. Probably the one that's going to help it the most is the last one. Enjoy sin and reject conviction of the Holy Spirit. You want to encourage false teaching in our church? Don't let the Spirit of Christ rule in your heart. Just, just completely ignore Him. Then what pastors say to you and what truth hits you, just believe what you want to believe and let the rest bounce off. You'll contribute to listening to false teaching. You'll contribute to hearing and and ushering some of that into your life. So yeah, okay, we don't have false teaching in our church. All right, maybe, maybe not. But do you contribute to it in your own heart by having these attitudes? Do we test God's word constantly? Are we constantly thinking about his word and what it is in our lives so that when somebody does say something that's not completely true or right or accurate, our antenna goes up and, and we say, whoa, what about this passage? How does that work? How does that, how does that match up? In all these ways, maybe we contribute in our heart attitudes just like Moses was saying in Deuteronomy chapter 13 and condemning those who would listen to a false prophet and a dreamer that did something miraculous that was so outstanding that we bought it and we bit on that bait and we walked away from the Lord. Is your heart idolatrous tonight? Do you thrive in the area of I'm just status quo with Christ? Or do you let the Holy Spirit convict you 100% all the time? And you get on your knees because you know that you are not where you should be. Let me encourage you tonight that as we look at what false teachers are and next time is what they do and how that impacts us, let me encourage you to take a look at your heart and your attitudes and how how you contribute, maybe contribute to that that idea. And I think we all have those issues. I think we all have those issues. Problems that we deal with on a, on a daily basis, but may God be glorified in our in what we do here. And by the way, may we, as a church body, local church body, reject the garbage that's out there that tries to bring in partial truth and leave with a man-centered gospel. May we reject that as a body of believers. That will tear our church down. That will tear us as believers down. And that will basically, essentially,
dissolve the church in a generation. And we don't want that. Reagan Martin many times said, we're one generation away from losing the church. Okay. Yeah, if we all believed apostasy and we all walked away in false teaching, yeah, maybe. May that not happen. May we be be word-driven believers who know God's word and know his truth.